We will uh, continue on in our Titus study as we're actually entering into the, the last chapter. That's chapter 3. Short book, isn't it? Short epistle. We haven't been in it that long. But it has uh, definitely described to us what, uh, what the church is and how it is to function, what it's about inside the walls and outside the walls. And as being Christians living in this era that we live in, we're becoming more and more aware of the changing tide. Things uh, definitely are changing rapidly. The whole society around us uh, is. And I think in some ways it's quite alarming to all of us, I must admit, uh, as a matter of fact. And there probably should be a reason for some concern. Uh, Only what do we do with that concern is another thing, and that's what hopefully this uh, text will help us with today. We know the political realm has just shifted increasingly, rapidly, and it's just our lifetimes. We've seen it right before our eyes. Uh, it's definitely threatening Christianity in unmistakable ways. And we hear about that in the news all so often, and if you pay attention to the news, it can probably bring you into a depression. <laughs> That's why I try not to listen to too much of the world news, and uh, although uh, it's hard to miss sometimes, but when we look at it the way that we should be as far as the uh, worldview from the biblical end, it always puts things into perspective and knowing that God is sovereign. Now, what we're saying is what's happening out in the political realm. We know there are a lot of laws that are being changed. A lot of laws are even hidden in particular agendas. And there are definitely agendas that are against Christianity. We know there are Christian companies who are struggling right now. They're fighting. They're trying to make decisions on, on what are they going to do whenever they're forced to pay taxes and insurance on things that are like abortion and, and in a direct way, very direct, even more than ever before. What do they do? Uh, conservative Bible-believing individuals, small businesses, and large companies alike are having a, a really difficult Decision on what they're going to do. And they're being challenged by the president, congressmen, the courts, the judges. And they are making those decisions uh, against certain things that we hold to be morally true and right. And, of course, if uh, people don't pay, such as, uh, you can say, uh, a Christian company like a Hobby Lobby, if they don't pay what they're supposed to do, then I understand that they're supposed to be paying a million dollars a day. And there's no business that can survive for that continuing to come out in that way. There are many things uh, else that are on the agenda as far as that left wing is considered. And uh, things will probably get worse. Now, this is a way to start a message, isn't it? As I'm saying this to myself, I'm going, I'm the one who's supposed to have good news and I'm coming up with all this. Well... What I'm doing is I'm setting up and saying I'm taking us down the level that sometimes our minds want to go, don't really want to go, but there they are. What do we do? And then, of course, we know we're going to come back with this and always get the answer, right? So don't don't worry too much. Dennis is not falling off the cliff here and giving it all up. That's the last thing that I want to do. But the question would be, how are we supposed to live in this pagan world that tends, and not only tend, is getting worse? Should we protest? Should we demonstrate? Should we, should we start a rebellion? Should we get our guns out and get ready to start shooting? Should we leave the country? Should we go to Mexico? <laughs> Australia? This country, I do want to tell you, has had a rich heritage. And the Christian roots there are, are really incredible. The church has played a key role in keeping a moral fabric there that is has definitely been definable, but we have seen it being uprooted. Foundations are just deteriorating. And there are vestiges remaining. Thank the Lord. And uh, His His church, His His true people that are in churches scattered all over the world, they're there. Uh, the reason I say vestiges is because a lot of other uh, things have just blown what we would think to be as Christianity just totally apart. Church, we know, has gone liberal. Church has gone postmodern. Church is Arminian, man-centered. 
The church is not committed to Scripture, preaching the Scripture, and in many cases has just gone totally apostate. Right here in our town we have a church with a woman pastor who is uh, a lesbian. And uh, she has a married partner, I guess, really is what it is there at... I don't know. I don't know. How can you? How can you? That's an oxymoron. How can that be? But I'm going wow. Right here in Jeff City, yeah, that that happens. Even in places you would think that would be so conservative, but I think uh, it's showing to us what the world is about. Christianity was once so much part of the fabric of our nation, and it created some kind of cultural props enough to kind of hold us up and to give us kind of a biblical morality. <laughs> and so people knew what was right, people knew what was wrong, even though they still would do wrong, at least there were laws against certain things. And there was a divine standard. At least that was there. But now, those standards are gone. And as far as being politically correct, the church, if it's being true to God's Word, is totally not correct. <laughs> we are not correct at all to the way the world now has brought forth its standards. And we know that materialism and family breakup and breakdown is epidemic. We know there are like, as far as abortions are concerned, over 3,000 per day. Babies are killed 3,000 a day. Sexual evils and drugs and crime and pagan education is just flooding the world that we live in. It's like the Mississippi River. It's just overflowing its banks and it's getting bigger and bigger and spreading out even further. It's called a flood of evil. <laughs> and we shouldn't be surprised. I think we, um, as a nation, have torn down all the standards and now nobody can really figure out what is right. <laughs> and uh, everything that is wrong is blatantly accepted. Not only is accepted, that is the way that people are encouraged to carry on the kind of behavior that is absolutely against God's truth. Now, I know all you guys are not happy with the way the agenda has been working out. I'm not happy about it. I don't like that. But it doesn't matter whether it's the judicial branch or the legislative branch or the executive branch. We're angry. In, a, in one sense, that perversion is actually legalized, encouraged, and the will of God is blatantly rejected all over our country. It's one thing to have sin. and something else to redefine it as acceptable human behavior. So, as I asked earlier, what are we to do? What should be our response to this kind of pagan culture that we are all aware? There's nothing that I have said that is new to anybody here. Matter of fact, what we are going to do this morning is not really going to be anything new. It's going to be a reminder to us. And that is the good news. All I've done is dumped a, bad, a lot of bad news on you when you have come out on a cold, frigid day where there's ice on the roads and you braved all that and then you have to have Dennis up here telling you how bad it is. Well, now we get to the part of saying, hey, we can do something about it. What do we do as Christians? Well, let's turn to our Bibles or let's put um, turn our phones on or our iPods or iPads, notebooks, or if you have one, turn your Bible to Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Most of us, I think, have regular Bibles. But I know there are some, I want to include everybody, Titus is Titus. It doesn't matter where we read it, right? What a blessing. Verse 1, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient. To be ready for every good deed. To malign no one. To be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves. Disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. Spending our life in malice and envy. Hateful, hating one another. Shall we go on further, Paul? <laughs> no, he gets to the good part. And this is really where I'd like to go to today. 
But I've got a feeling we're not going to have enough time. Verse 4 is really where I want to go. I really want to go verse 5 and 6. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made of heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement. Concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. We just read eight verses. Four of them are free, and four of them I'm going to charge you for today. No, (laughs) three. (laughs) Five verses are free, because we're going to stop at verse three. And actually, we covered verse one last week, but we really didn't, because again, we ran out of time, right? Uh, but we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but we will cover it because I think it has a lot to do with what we just stated. So what a setup, Dennis. You tell all about what's happening out there and we're getting, okay, we've got to fight this stuff. And yeah, we, we, we fight against the world, the flesh and the devil, right? But it says here, remind them to be subject to authorities. And we're saying, wait a minute, the authorities are telling us things that are different than what Scripture is. And Paul tells Titus this. Our text, I think, has significant ramifications for this 21st century. But first, we must do good hermeneutics and go to the text and say, let's look at the setting here. But I I think that as it applies to 2,000 years ago, it is aimed right at us today. Isn't that amazing about God's Word that can touch people thousands of years ago directly and then hit us with the same kind of impact? God's Word. Amazing. The Cretans. They're in the hands of a government that was pagan, that was corrupt, and actually was far worse than what we know today. That might be hard to believe, but uh, you remember this this island uh, of Crete was where you had a lot of people who were evil and lazy and gluttonous. Paul wants Titus to be aware of this and how the members of the churches there are to respond to the things that were going on outside the church. Now we've already seen what's supposed to happen on, on the inside. He wants them to know the hallmark of what a Christian is. What does a Christian really look like? I mean, a true Christian. What do they look like? What do they look like in this kind of culture? According to this epistle, the Crete Christians were to live kind of lives that were so distinct, that would be so different than people that would be out in the society at their workplace, in the government places, and then at church, of course, and living it at home. And we've already seen that in the first two chapters of Titus, haven't we? We've seen the elders, what their responsibilities, what their qualifications are, and then he covered who? The older men, and then the older women, the younger women, and the younger men. And even the people, the slaves, or we consider the people that go out and work in the workplace. And then he said, the grace of God has appeared. That is what our motivation is because we look to ultimately that blessed hope, as it says in verse 13, one of my favorite verses, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory. Oh, I love that. Boy, there's some really good words here, aren't there? Blessed hope. Appearing of the glory of our great God. We sang a song about that, didn't we? And Savior Christ Jesus. Of course, it reminds us there. That next verse, uh, who gave himself up to redeem us. <laughs> He's coming back. And that's always the motivation. Look, look who's in charge and look what's going to happen. So they're to live in such a way to commend the gospel to all people. They are not to isolate themselves. 
There have been pockets of people down through the history of the church that said they can live holy lives. Be holy for I am holy. Because Peter uh, says that, right? And all throughout Scripture, we know. And, and these verses we're saying today are really about sanctification, being holy. So they said the best way I can do that is if I get away and I don't have TV or radio or internet, I don't have any... Thing, any pictures, any people, as a matter of fact, that can tempt me to sin. I'll just live by myself and be a hermit and therefore I can concentrate on the things of the Lord. And people have done that and they've established monasteries. There's been monkery going on for years, for hundreds of years, thousands. Just to be holy because they really are trying to seek that and I've got news for them. That is not what Scripture says. As we go about our business in this world, we are to present Jesus Christ. If He wanted to make us absolutely holy and take us to a place where we could be holy, He would do that. He would take us right immediately as soon as we come saved, right there. Wouldn't you love that? I keep mentioning that all the time. I keep wondering, why didn't you do that, Lord? But uh, no, He has a way to train us, to show us what grace is and how we can give that grace to people in the body of Christ and then also to people outside the world. We keep saying that a lot, but Titus is presenting this. And he's saying this to a lot of people who were converted from uh, extremes. I mean, extreme sin. There's another kind of extremity that gets involved in the government and all the things in uh, the, the city and, and boy, they're running things and they're going to they're gonna change laws and change rules and do everything. They're going to make it righteous, you know. And... Uh, good intentions. And that's a good thing. It's okay. It's a good thing if Christians be involved in those things. And the schools and such. I have nothing against that. But some get so involved that they get they forget their first love. They forget what the business is really all about here. And they get so involved in the things of the world that they're not uh, really bringing forth the truth. Because <laughs> they're trying to change things and we know that that won't happen either. So you see extremes. And there's a balance in the Christian realm. And that's so much what I want to strive for and get it across to all of us. We're so easily swayed to go one way or the other constantly. We always are. We're human beings and that's where the flesh wants to do it. One way or the other. We want to be super righteous or we just want to sin like the devil. you know. But that balance that comes in and we realize the very grace and mercy and the peace of God that's there and we want to please Him because of who He is. And uh, so to be established on those principles. The pastor's role now, as we see the first word in verse 1, Pastor Titus, who has churches just strung out all over Titus, or Titus, all over Crete, (laughs) he has to establish elders in these churches and he has to tell them, here's what a Christian looks like. I'm sure there were a lot of things going on. We've already seen there was false teaching happening in these churches. All sorts of craziness. You don't have a you don't have pastors there, eldership. I'm sure things are out of hand, so he's going to have to go to all these churches and he's going to have to group this together and make sure that's right. What a job that had to have been. Can you imagine this? Had to weight him down a little bit, but Paul is, is telling him, here's what you need to do, but he keeps telling him this is all done by by grace of God here. It's all the power of God, the Holy Spirit power that can allow you and have you to do this. And and so Paul is a a good reminder to people. Remind them to be subject to rulers. They know that. He just says, remind them. We know that too, don't we? But boy, do we have to be reminded at least once every decade. (laughs) Maybe every day. The laws are changing every day. Have you guys seen some of the laws that they want to change on the guns already? Wow. Uh, Don't worry about it. It's all right. God's doing His thing. Pastors are there to remind people of what they already know. But we forget. And Scripture is just chock full of reminders, isn't it? I think Peter said that. I, I write these things to remind you. And I think I've probably said this quite frequently. Uh, So, if I'm not very innovating today, uh, there is a reason for it. I'm not really innovating anyway. I don't think I'm called to be innovating. If that were the case, I probably wouldn't be here. But uh, we are to be reminded and to go into the depth of what that is. We we know we like that, don't we? So, uh, to uphold the rule of law by being subject 
to <laughs> the government. <laughs> uh, the Cretans are saying, uh, Titus, do you know what you're... T- who told you this? Paul? Paul told you that. But you don't know. Uh, how about Nero? Do you know about Nero? You know what he's doing to us? Uh, sooner or later, the church is going to be persecuted in a real heavy way. But anyway, people were heavily taxed. The tax collectors were extortionists. And they took whatever money they could. And we know the Jews did that. And we know the Romans did that You know, during the time of Christ. And here it is. This is going on at this time. Uh, government really wasn't even close to being Christian. Not even close. I mean, there might have been some principles that they had established there that was God's law anyway, ruling law, but mankind comes in and messes those things up a lot. Uh, Paul did not say that his commands only apply if you live in a Christian-based culture. I wish he would, all right? Man, now it's for any kind of government. The only time that believers are required to disobey secular government is when the government commands us to do something that would require us to disobey God. Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than men. And sometimes there are certain decisions we're not so sure whether that would apply to that text or not. And that's what's hard. We're on a line sometimes. Okay, hey... Um, you know, I don't want to go against the government here, but I think this is going against God here. And so we have to apply, I think, our own consciences in, in a lot of cases. And of course, that's what I was saying earlier. You're going to have companies, uh, big corporations, challenging um, the government. And uh, it doesn't look good. I mean, it, uh, I'm not so sure that these corporations are going to win. Cretans were no notoriously rebellious. They were very turbulent society. They were very quarrelsome. They were impatient of all authority. Go back and read some of the history. There was a Greek historian by the name of Polybius. And he said of them that they were constantly involved in insurrections against the government, murders, and internecine wars, wars, so Paul lays out these marks of godly character in relation to a godless society. Godly character in a godless society, one of them is right here about being subject to government. Now, I know we're angry. We watch the vestiges of Christian influence die and they're crumbling. And We can be angry because we see what's happening in the courts and in the congresses and the executive offices and all across the land. What's our response? We may not agree with the decisions, and they may be ungodly, but there's still a submission and obedience. Rulers were tyrants back during the time that Paul wrote, Peter wrote, John wrote, John wrote Revelation, and we know he was, uh, you know, imprisoned. All of them were, were martyrs. They died for the faith. Early church, you see that same thing. So they all ran up against the same kind of thing, but they stayed true to the gospel. The leaders lacked integrity. They were murderous. They were not noble people for the most part. Governments made laws and they would keep the laws that were absolutely not equitable. They were not just. They were not fair. And that's kind of the way it's been throughout man's history. Why wouldn't it be? Why wouldn't it be? They're sinners as, as we were sinners, and that's where this, this is going. He says here, be subject to rulers, to authorities. It's hard for me to tell you this. I'll be honest with you. Whenever I see some of the injustices and all the things that are going on, but yet we are still commanded this, and it's not just in Titus. And uh, I'll remind you quickly, Romans 13, of course, that's... Uh, passage that uh, saying the same thing gets into pretty good detail. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those which exist are established by God and that is the key passage. Wow. Even the government. That's Romans 13.1. All governments. 
even the worst of governments you can think of, they still got the government from God. Now, it's not that He's the one that brings on the murders and the, the, the killing of millions of people and, and such, but to have even government ruling. Now, what they do with it and how they turn it into what it is, they're responsible for. But yet, God is the one who grants government. He's established the family. He's established the church. He's established the government. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. That's rather incredible. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For the rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good. You'll have praise from the same. For it's a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. They're rulers of, these rulers are servants of God. Yeah, He's using them. They're tools that He's using. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. You owe taxes to the government, okay. But then we also give to God what is His, right? As Jesus said. So that's even in, in the teaching of Jesus. Uh, we can go to First Peter chapter 2. And he was encountering this same kind of situation. Oh, the persecution was really happening to the church. And of course, those who come on the Wednesday night study know we have been uh, addressing that issue. But uh, the first chapter is just nothing but just absolute grace. <laughs> and that's a great place to start. Knowing all of that, this is how we encounter the world that we're in. In 1 Peter 2, verse 13, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. That's really what they're about. And the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bondslaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. That's a tall order. Next thing he says to be obedient. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient. It's our concern to be worried really, about what we're supposed to do. <laughs> and there's really not a worry there. We're not to worry about legislation. Pray about it. That's a good thing to do. And whatever you know you can do, you know, uh, physically, that you're drawn to do, and you like to do, okay, fine. But it's not our concern to be even with all the things the President does. Hard to imagine. Boy, you know, you go on Facebook and I see a lot of noble people, but they constantly rip these men that I don't agree with and I do not like anything they stand for either. But to constantly be ripping into our leaders and then our into our government, I think they need to be really careful. Um, I look at these scriptures and I know God is absolutely sovereign. These are coming from people who believe in absolute sovereignty of God. And if He is, He's going to use these people for His own will, for His own pleasure. What is our concern? To live holy lives. Call people to Christ. Because we're not going to change this world. The only thing that's going to change is when Christ comes back. <laughs> He's going to burn up everything that's here as far as the material aspects are concerned and do a recreation of all things. And all the people who are new creations in Christ will live with Him forever. Our deal is here is that we are actually citizens. We're dual citizens, but really our citizenship is in heaven. We can't forget that. That's why it says so much Christ is coming back. Christ is coming back. 
We are only strangers and we are what? Aliens. We are to do whatever we are told to do so it would not mar our testimony, which is greater and more compelling of an issue than anything else. Believe me, I'm one who has been very well aware of what has been happening. I've been tracing this since back the early 80s. And uh, sometimes my mind would stray off a little bit further than what it should, you know, trying to think of... uh, Hey, where are the catacombs at? Let's go check those out. <laughs> check out the caves. Well, here we are today. I'm glad I didn't go into the cave and just be a recluse. <laughs> it, would, it wouldn't have happened. I don't think my family would have gone along with it. <laughs> but, when you look at, back at Scripture... And, you know, you really have to use wisdom. You know, there is such thing as protection and those things. I know. You know, and we're, you know, things are kind of blurred sometimes. But this is the ruling principle. And then we kind of seek out God's will as we work through those issues. But uh, there's a legitimate place in a democratic-type government to seek to pass laws that uphold biblical standards of morality, that's the ideal setup. That approach is really, at best, putting a band-aid on things. Because man is man. And men who put our government up knew that man is man, man is sinful. So they put up those different branches of the government, which are absolutely biblical. came out of the Old Testament. They knew. They knew if you get a man ruling that he's going to take advantage of other people. Because that's the nature. And so they had checks and balances. And after a while, those checks and balances get corrupt. And that's where we're at. Our church has had a lot to do with that because we have not been the light and the salt. We did not call people to Christ and to the Gospel. What our perverted, sinful society needs is the Gospel that changes human hearts. And we know that. Nothing new, I'm telling you here. But how do we gain a hearing? It's almost impossible to gain a hearing. Either people have already heard it, they don't want to hear anything more about it, uh, these people, they want to mock God and all of His people, the whole church. Paul's answer is that we must live godly lives in a corrupt, evil society. Imagine that. Even despite what's happened, the changed lives of believers will provide a platform to be able to have a verbal witness who knows where it goes? We don't have to be concerned so much of, oh, I didn't get the gospel of this person, this person. Whenever you get an opportunity, live it. You get the opportunity to give it, verbalize it. It's up to God who says, I'm so thankful that it's up, not up to me to get these people over here say, I didn't go to them and now I feel guilty. Well, if I should have gone to them, I didn't do it, I should feel guilty. But their eternity is not resting in my hands because <laughs> I didn't go to them. You know, it's not going to be hanging over my head for eternity because of that. But if I'm disobedient, if I have not listened to the Lord, well, that's shame on me. What happens to them is what God is, is going to do with them. But we are to point sinners to the Gospel. The Gospel of God's grace. That He can relieve them, set them free of this terrible bondage that they are in that they don't even know they're in. Now, that's what we're reminded of here. That's what Paul reminds Titus. We need to keep being reminded of how God's grace changed us. Or we would have been stuck in that same mold forever. Now, he says, to be ready for every good deed. Right at the end of verse 1. To be ready for every good deed. Good works. Hey, this is where it comes in. We preach grace and we say, hey, then we don't, we don't, we don't believe in good works. Oh, right? No. We know that because of the grace that saves us, we now have works now that desire to uh, reflect the very glory of God. So in this context, when he says this, for every good deed, be prepared and willing to participate in activities 
that promote the welfare of the community. That's the idea and the context that Paul is saying to Titus and the way the language is set up here. Be prepared and be willing to participate in activities that can promote the welfare of people around you. Of course, the Gospel is the best thing you can possibly give. Now, we must not stand coldly away from praiseworthy enterprises of government that show good public spirit, thus proving that Christianity is a constructive force in society. So says the commentator D. Edmund Heber. I think he's got a good point. To show good public spirit, proving that Christianity is constructive and it does make an impact in society. So we are to be reminded of that. We need to be careful not to compromise though. We get so much involved in society and all of a sudden we forget about the Gospel. There we go again. (laughs) Keeping that balance. Look in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Galatians 6, 10. So then, while we have an opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are the household of the faith. The church. Especially, it starts there, doesn't it? It's easy to do that more with your, your fellow believers, but even that sometimes can be a little difficult. But outside the walls, it gets a little more difficult. So while we have that opportunity, do good to all people. That's an amazing kind of thought, isn't it? Christianity... There aren't too many religions that would say that. Oh, it sounds like they're being of peace, like you think of the Hinduism, Buddhism, and such. Muslims, Judaism. But if you don't have the principles of Jesus Christ in your life, you can't do those things. We can be of help. There are things that are helpful, but those things really are band aids. Gospel, the truth. So this is aggressive goodness. Just being able to, uh, being in, in the community there and showing what Christianity is about. Leading people to that. Galatians 6.10 says, We are doing good to all men, especially those of the household of faith, it says to do. Now he says, To malign no one. To malign no one. The word there is interesting for malign is blasphemeo. Or... We get our English word blasphemy. Huh. We're not to blaspheme anybody. That means to slander. To treat with a contempt. If we um, think about it, sometimes we get frustrated with the government officials and they don't represent what they say. They don't do what they're supposed to be doing and still yet we're not to malign them. What if a neighbor does me wrong? Well, I'm not to go to another neighbor and start talking about that other neighbor and start talking bad about them, maligning them. You won't win that neighbor to Christ and anybody else for matter, if uh, that be the case, we do that. Christians are to confront sin. I mean, if there's really been sin, we're to confront it. But it's really to point people to, uh, to Christ. Next word is be peaceable. These are easy things. I mean, you know, you could you could spend a long time on them, or you can just go on one word, boom, 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 just read them, move on. You see, I know, I know, I'm not supposed to malign anyone. To be peaceable. What's what's the idea? Uh, it's interesting. The word there is amacho, and we get our English word. Uh, take the word a, which is negative, and say macho. Macho is somebody who oh, was it back in the was it in the 80s? No, we're not going to go that way. <laughs> The, the opposite of macho. Um, it's showing that you can shove people around. You are macho. You are tough. Christians are not to take offense. We're really not to take offense either. If we're wrong, we should really try to conciliate things. That goes against the grain of our flesh, though. When somebody does something wrong, what's the first thing that we want to do? We want to get back. And we want to teach them a lesson, right? I mean, that's just the flesh. But as the more you're conformed with Christ, what happens? It's more important to be concerned about relations and who that person really is and where they're at in their uh, 
relationship with God uh, than standing up for our own rights. And that's what is going to take us into the next couple of words. These are easy, aren't they? But they're hard. You know what? To be honest with you, if we really went down into the roots of this and started thinking like Puritans, these words would be ripping us apart. And I said it a little bit in that our nature doesn't want to do that. Well, uh, there are times when we blow these. To malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle. Word there is to yield, to be considerate, to, to forbear things. People do something against you, whatever. Uh, somebody quoted it as sweet reasonableness. Now, I like that. What do you guys think of that? Sweet reasonableness. Just being able to not be argumentative. That's the idea. Not angry, not hostile. Sweetly reasonable. Graciously kind, gentle. That's, that's the thought. It's far more important to absorb the shot that somebody just gave you and realize, you know, that's really not personally against me. Somebody said, well, are you going to stand up and just take that? Man, you need to get them back for what they did right there, what they said to you. And you start thinking, why? It's because of their position. Look, I feel bad for them. Absorb the wrong. Keep the door open for the witness. It comes from an unbeliever. You know, you can say, I, I know exactly why they said that. I understand. I'm not going to even take it. I'm just going to let it bounce off of me because, you know, they're really offending the Lord. And if that be the case, you know, I'm not going to let this really get me. You know, we could, we all have the capability of doing that. But all of us fail to. Now, I'm not going to let us off the hook. Let's, let's be reminded that this is true. We are to be gentle even when people hurl the worst insults at you because you just realize where they're coming from. And that's where he's headed. That's where he's headed here. Showing every consideration for all men. <laughs> uh, for most people. Lord, all men? Yeah, but some men. <laughs> now we can take it at a, a few, a few men. Be considerate to a few men. Protes, meekness, humility, showing every consideration for all men, never asserting one's right. This is all about, but but the rights. Look at my rights. Well, I want to tell you. Remember that deal about free will? Yeah. People have free will to continue in the sinful manner that they are. But if you've been set free in Christ, actually you realize now you've been set free, you no longer have to follow that will anymore and you now have a choice. You can make a decision to do what is right, what will glorify God. And now we're free in that sense. Before we weren't, we really weren't free. People like to think that they're free and they are in Absolute bondage. They're in. They're like in jail with bars, and they can't. They don't even know it. They <laughs> think everything's just fine. And so those poor people, they don't see the spiritual aspect. You know how it is. We look at. We we can think of angels, ministering spirits, but we can't see them, can we? But we know they exist. Absolutely. I wonder if they're even looking at us today. We don't know. But I can tell you one thing. I think it's a good possibility. And you know they they want what the Lord wants for us. They want, they want the best for us. But that's a spiritual realm and we can't get into that spiritual realm. We can't see them. They're spirit beings. Well, spiritual beliefs, people can't understand unless the key has come and opened the door of the heart. So now we can see why the people who are unbelievers do the things that they do. And when we show consideration, we're realizing, you know what? I don't have to put my rights up here. I gave that up when I got the freedom of Christ. Because He gave up His rights too. In the sense of allowing evil, sinful men to put Him up on a cross. Never asserting our rights. Never fighting for our own rights. 
in the society we live in, I thank the Lord for the freedom that we have and the rights and the privileges. I mean, it's incredible. I don't think there's been any other place on earth that's been as good as it's been to us in, in a lot of aspects. Anyway, I'll put it that way. Um, we know it's not like what it was, but we don't have any political agenda. We really don't. We don't have any legislative agenda. We don't have those kind of rights. We have rights here as being those citizens, but we don't want any particular rights within the society that takes us from living for Christ, come what may. It's dealing with patient trust in God. It's His purpose. It's His will. I just want to line up with it in every aspect. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2.25. 2 Timothy 2, verse 25. Can you imagine Titus is going to have to tell this to the Cretans? Now, they don't have the background that we already have, and we know these Scriptures. We know about these. For the most part, we like to think that we carry these through. I'm sure we, we, we stumble sometimes. We know. I did. I will say we. I'll just say me. Two twenty-five. With gentleness, there's that word. Showing every consideration with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. Yes, we are in a position to correct, though. If perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil having been held captive by Him to do His will. Man, I don't know about you guys, but those two verses speaks volumes. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for writing to Timothy and Titus because they have to go tell the people this. <laughs> These are pastoral letters. I want you to look at verse 24. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged. Sounds like Titus. The letter to Titus. With gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. So we're not to just sit there and say nothing. No, we are here to correct people. We are here to tell them that they are lost in their sins, that they are sinners, that they are murderers, that they are adulterers, that they, they break all of God's law, and before a holy, just God, every one of us are guilty. And every one of us deserve the worst of the punishment. That's, that's what everybody needs to hear. Everybody needs to hear that. I like this, correcting them. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, we're not going to lead them to repentance. That's only the work of God. The repentance that leads to knowledge of the truth. And that they've come out of that trap, the snare, the imprisonment that they have, they're held captive. They don't even know they're held captive. That's amazing. They need to know the truth. They need to know they're sinners. And they need to know that if they're sinners... They need a mighty work of grace and mercy that will change them to turn to repent. They believe in Jesus Christ. That's what they need. Look in Galatians 5.23. So if we think it that way, it's a lot easier to get by in this world and think, oh, so this is what's happening. Man, Satan is having a field day. Yes, he is. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's been doing this for thousands of years. <laughs> Galatians 5.23. Oh, the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ, here's a reminder, have crucified the flesh. Here's what's happened to us positionally. This has already happened. We've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The problem is, the flesh doesn't know that. Or doesn't want to admit it. The flesh is always going to rise up. And he says, but I want you to know, you belong to God. Your sin has already been defeated. It's done now. 
Let the Spirit of God in you do this. Don't work up. I'm going to work up being gentle now. I'm go- <laughs> Man, you can try all you want. But I can guarantee you, it won't take long. It'll be gone. Kindness, faithfulness, all those things. You cannot do those things without the Spirit of Christ in you. So without the Holy Spirit just filling you and just flooding your life up. And then we can do these things. So whenever we look at these things, do this, do this, don't do that. It's always qualified by the graciousness of Christ and the Spirit that's in us. We do now have the ability to do these things. Romans 8 says before we didn't have the ability. We didn't want to do those things and we could not do those things. Say, Dennis, where was that at in Romans 8? I didn't know about that. They couldn't. We couldn't. They couldn't. They can't. That's actually found in verse 7 and 8. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God. That's what's even more important, right? Subjection to the law of God. For it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh, what? Cannot or are not able no ability. What does it mean? They can't please God. I think that's pretty clear. And that's what Paul's getting to here in Titus. Uh, that idea of meekness and humility, gentleness here, uh, we're, we're right at the end of that verse 2, right? Oh, we got another verse to go? you kidding me? Okay. But that'll go by a lot quicker because those are negative things. Okay. Showing every contention for all men. Showing every consideration. You know what the idea is there? Humility. It's strength under control. It's like a horse. A horse that is broken. He had power before. You know the kind of power that a horse can have? He can, he can knock you off the saddle. He can come and just crush you. I mean, those, those big horses, they're powerful. But once they're broken, they are now completely submitted to the Master and they do what the Master wants to do every time. I always think of Debbie on this one. They always do what you say, right? Uh, pretty well, all right. Yeah, you might coax them a little more. Are they kind of like Christian? Yeah, they're still under your submission, but sometimes they don't want to be agreeable. Even when you try to feed them. Even when <laughs> they're fed, right? For their own good. For their, you have every intention for their own good. Always, don't you? Good illustration. One of these days we'll go down there and visit your horses. Can they can they be ridden anymore? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just like us. Just speak for yourself, Dennis. <sighs> you know what? Paul says we who have been changed by God's grace should be gracious citizens and neighbors toward those who don't know Christ. Then Paul reminds us of the way we were. I couldn't help that. I'm sorry. Verse 3. This is, he said, I want you to remember the way we were. Every one of us. For Christ. This is what your heart was like. Now, you, you might not live enough to, to, to do all these things, but I'll tell you what, this is what your heart is. For we also once we're foolish ourselves. No. <laughs> Disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Boy, those are pretty powerful negative terms. This is a list of vices. My, before you get slanderous, before, before you get angry at those in authority in your country and those around you who are in sin and you see the sin everywhere and you see the immoral agenda, the way things are headed, the whole world is headed into just immoral things before you get hostile and before you get slanderous and before you get angry and let your emotions become venomous like snakes and all the kind of acts and vengeance that we would like to take before you become inconsiderate. (laughs) Paul says, I want you to remember where you came from. I want you to remember you were actually one of them. 
Did you forget? Remember this, he says. If we want to behave as godly people towards them in verses 1 and 2, then we need to remember that before we met Christ, we acted, thought, we just did the same things they did. Some worse, some less. But that's the kind of people we were. (laughs) Unbelievers are living for themselves. That's right, they are. Christians are living for Christ. Most of But we don't live for ourselves anymore. We committed ourselves to the Lord, Jesus Christ. Unbelievers, who they have lived for? For themselves. That's all they have. They're living for Him. But they don't know it. God has put them there for a purpose. They are to glorify God. That, they are to repent of their sins. That's what we're to tell them. And they are to glorify God, but they're actually living for themselves even though there is God who is in control of all this. But you know what? With the power of God's Spirit, we are enabled. We are given the ability to treat the most ungodly people with grace. If He has granted such grace to us, and then He says, this is yours. I'm not holding back anything. You get enough grace today for what you need. If I did this for you, you certainly can do that little prideful thing and get rid of it. Get rid of pride. That'll be the last sin that'll be dealt with us on us. Our pride. That's what it's about. We're about selves. We're still dying. Forget yourself. Take up the cross. Follow me. That's a constant, ongoing thing. And hopefully, we're getting a little more like Christ and a little less like Dennis. Put yourself in there. Put your name there. I want to be less like what I've been. We should never be surprised when ungodly, blind, dead sinners do the things they do. Don't ever be surprised. I was at an interview the other day and it was dealing with... It was actually corrections. And they were telling me they were doing... And it was dealing with um, the sexual immorality they have to deal with and where they they are in it's, it's they said and they said you know it just keeps getting worse could and then they asked could you deal with that and i said well you know uh, that's called sin and sin is an evil thing against god but you know i'm not surprised by anything I hear it on the radio. I see it in the news all the time. I see it. I know what's going on around, and I know we'll never be surprised at things. But man is man. Man is sinful. He is evil, and he is wicked, and he will do some of the worst things that you cannot even imagine. And three ladies that were interviewing, and they were all shaking their heads. Now I don't know if they what they thought about the sin thing, or you know, just man is man. But there are people. It's not just. Evil people, it's just people who don't have Christ. So we go to First Peter chapter one and in verse fourteen. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust, which were yours in your ignorance. <laughs> Thanks, Pete. <laughs> we were ignorant. We were foolish. Oh, I wouldn't go that far. Mm. The Holy One says you are. Wow. Really? Well, I'm not to be like that anymore, am I? No. How about 1 Corinthians chapter 6? 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Oh, 59 minutes. i got a minute, guys. Trying to go to the 60 minute thing lately. You know what? That's my New Year's resolution. <laughs> okay. 6 9 through 1. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? You know that, Corinthians, right? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. 
I just read this, you know, they probably won't invite me to be praying at the inauguration. <laughs> nor these, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. Matter of fact, they all were. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Ephesians 4, verse 17. And you know what? I probably won't even read all that whole section because it could go all the way down to verse 24. But in 17, he says, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer. That means you used to walk, but walk no longer. Just as the Gentiles also walk in their futility of their mind. They have, their minds are futile. And look at verse 18. Being darkened in their understanding. Excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Because of the hardness of their heart. I could just keep going. This is the way we were. We were ignorant. We were foolish. Our minds were futile. They were darkened. How could I have ever chosen God that way? I couldn't. I already read that. We couldn't. We didn't want to. We could not. We were not able to. And He comes in and turns on the light, opens up our heart. What kind of grace is that? Well, it shows that it's all of God. We were without understanding. We were without spiritual wisdom. And we did not know God, so our foolish heart was darkened, as it says in Romans 1.21. We thought we were wise, but we were fools. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says the natural man doesn't receive spiritual things. He cannot understand things of God unless God reveals them to him. Next word is disobedient. We hated the thought of submission or obedience to any kind of authority. Nobody likes that. When you were kids, two years old, you hated that. They just put that on display all the time. As they grow up, they continue to have disobedience until they learn. Deceived means to stray, wander. We've been straying around before we come to Christ. We thought we could find happiness and fulfillment through the lust of the flesh. We could not find fulfillment in that. We thought we could violate God's law without any kind of repercussion whatsoever. There are a lot of people that say, I believe in God. And they just live like the devil and don't think there's going to be any consequences. Because He's never done anything to me. But we were deceived. Enslaved to lust and pleasures, it also says here, sin like addictive drugs. Always enslaves one. At first, it may seem like it meets the needs. But all we have to do is think about it. Yeah, but it's so pleasurable. I like it. It's nice. Sexual gratification outside of marriage feels good to people. Drugs make people feel good. Drinking can kind of put people in a it dulls their problems and all the pressures of life. And dishonest business practices may bring in a lot more money and allow one to get rich. And money can buy you all sorts of pleasures. But all these sins do is enslave one and destroys one. John 8.34 Jesus answered them, Truly, I say to you, everyone who commits Sin, one who has that nature, is the slave of sin. A slave of sin. That word uh, for uh, lust and pleasures deals with desires, desires that are wrong, pleasures, malice and envy, that's ill will toward others, a selfishness, wanting things our way, it means harming someone. If you have to move someone out of the way, whatever it takes, if you, if you have a, somebody going for the same job, you want to get him fired. You want to do whatever it takes to get that person out of the way uh, as you climb up the ladder. Um, people will cheat people in, in the business realm just to be able to get ahead. And they'll do whatever it takes. That's the business world. If you have to spread nasty rumors to make your enemy look bad, then you'll do that. It's a dog-eat-dog world. That's the way it is. So I've got to do what I've got to do. I've got to move up this ladder. That's malice. And envy. Wanting something that's not ours. Hateful. Hating others is the next one. 
Hatred is essentially self-centeredness. It's about omitting other people. It's disregard for others' feelings and their needs. You, know, you just don't care. Uh, someone hurts me, I respond by saying, he can just drop dead or go to hell. How many times have you heard people say that? That's hatred. That's, that's murder in the hearts. It doesn't take the outward form of trying to hurt or kill someone. It's whenever we even thinking are thinking wrong about somebody. Remember, we all had this hatred before we came to Christ. That's the way our lives were marked as. That's what we were. Missio means to hate, abhor, detest. Every one of these sins we just looked at, this list, is lurking just below the surface. Every one of us has the ability to do these things because we're still in the flesh. But every one has the ability through the power of God's Spirit and by His grace and His mercy, we can defeat these temptations that come up. The kind of life that we used to live. The truth is on the heart level. We all violate the Ten Commandments, but when it comes down to thank the Lord through Christ, we have those sins taken away. Now we are to show how this works in our life. Boy, that's a tall order. The people of Crete here, Titus comes in here and he's going to have to say these things. I'm sure Titus is saying, hey, hey, Paul, you remember you were here? You know what this... Wait a minute, Paul, do you expect me to tell these people this? Look where they came from. He says, yeah, just remember. Just tell them where they used to be and, and who they are now in order to act with love and good deeds and... Uh, treating unbelievers like they need grace, just like you got grace from God, and they, they mistreat us and they malign us and they falsely excuse us, and then we remember, oh yeah, I was once there. They're made of the same stuff I was. Oh yeah. Does it make it a little easier to see what's going on in our world? Why wouldn't it wax worse? And the Lord's already told us that. We can't put our faith in the chariots. And in the horses, some trust in those. It's a pretty good song, isn't it? But we trust in the Lord our God. And verses 4 through 7 is where I'd love to go to right now because it does show the ability to do this. I'm not one who goes up there and you do this, you do this, you don't do that, you do this. Those are only there because we have the power to do that. We've seen what has happened, we've been regenerated. Generated power. The power of the Holy Spirit to live a Christ-like life in a pagan world. Let's pray.